0: Good morning. If you've got your Bibles this morning, turn to Joshua chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue one in front of you. Uh, We're going to be on page 148 of it. I want you to be able to follow along with us in Joshua 3. It's good to be back with you guys today. We were out all last week on a family vacation, and uh, they're... There's somewhat truth to the statement when you have kids, when you go on a vacation, you need a vacation from your vacation, you know, Um, but I'm glad to be back. I'm somewhat rested, uh, snuck in in the middle of the night last night under the cover of darkness to be back with you all today, and we're excited about it, and so let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to bless this time before we jump into it. Father, we thank you for each and every person who's here this morning. God, I thank you that you worked in their life in such a powerful way that you brought them here today, whether they're aware of it or not. And God, we know you have a purpose for each of them, and so we pray now that as we open your word, uh, that you would accomplish the purposes that you have set out for it. God, we invite you into this place to speak and move and teach, to shove me, the distractions of life, anything out of the way that would get in the way of what you want to do today, God. And we pray that everything you do, you do it all to the glory and exaltation of the name of Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray, Amen. Well, Ecclesiastes 7:8 says the end of the matter is better than the beginning. Right? It's the conclusion of something that brings resolution. Often a conclusion will bring clarity uh, or understanding. And, and when a proper conclusion is absent, we feel it. Right? Think about a, a musical note that isn't resolved. A story that doesn't end. A, a joke without a punchline. Right? Something, or something more serious like a life that's cut off too soon. There's just something in us that doesn't like it when things don't end well. When answers are, are left uncovered and things are left unresolved. The current series that we're going through together as a church involves one of the things that I enjoy studying the most. We're in a series where we're finding Jesus in the Old Testament. And we're looking at stories and events in the Old Testament and how they ultimately point us to Jesus Christ. And I enjoy studying this so much for a number of reasons. Number one, it's just amazing to me to see just how far God went to ensure that we wouldn't miss Jesus. He literally called out a nation. He he gave humanity his law. He moved through kings and rulers and widows and shepherds alike all to tell this grand story of redemption. And it turns out everything that he's ever done was so that the story would climax when God broke through and Jesus entered into our world. And his life and his death and his resurrection and ascension, the, the gift of his spirit, the gift of his word, the starting of his church was all to make us look back and say, man, that's what it was about all along. It always has been and always will be about Jesus. That's why Paul writes in Colossians 1 that everything has been made by Jesus and, more importantly, for Jesus. That the events of history, the lives of individual individual people, creation itself, how God the Father has always worked, has always been about and for Jesus. And so then now, with that background, when we study the Old Testament, lights start to go on. And we see that Jesus is the one who crushed the serpent's head. We see that Isaac uh, was foreshadowing of when God would actually give up his son for us. We read about the scapegoat like Adam did last week and realize that God took away our sins and put them on Jesus. And all this increases our view of Jesus. All this helps us to understand God's grand story of redemption even better. And we finally begin to get a glimpse of just how big a deal Jesus is. And that's always a good thing. But as we make our way through this series, there's something that I want us all to try to keep in mind. You see, when we read Genesis 3 and Genesis 12, and Leviticus 16 and Joshua 3, being here in 2016, having the full revelation of God's word, I've got more of the story than the people actually involved in the story. Since we're in the future, right, we're living in the new covenant, we get to look back. And the people living the stories we're studying, they didn't have that luxury. This is present day for them, which reminds me of, of what we're told in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is that chapter where the author of Hebrews is praising all the heroes of the Old Testament faith. And how much faith they had. And he closes out the chapter by saying, These were all committed for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. We're told in that chapter about Abraham and Joseph and Moses, Gideon, Samson, even Rahab and more. But the author reminds us at the end of the chapter, they didn't even get to see the conclusion. Everything they did, they didn't even see it end well. They didn't get to see what everything was all about. So their faith was truly without sight. It wasn't in God's timing during their lives in Jesus. And so while we're told that Jesus made them perfect with us, they were saved by faith through the blood of Jesus, they never got such a nice conclusion in this life. Nothing ever wrapped up with a nice little bow on top, which in a way is awesome for us to study and read and learn about, because we don't get every conclusion, do we? Yeah, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you know the ultimate ending. We're told that Jesus will return. We're told in the Bible that he will vanquish evil forever. He will bring a new heaven and a new earth. That he wins, he reigns, he rules forever, which is an amazing conclusion, by the way. But between now and then, we don't get every answer, do we? We simply aren't told specifically why God does or allows certain things in our lives. We aren't privy to all his plans. We don't see the future like he does. So what is called of us? What's God looking for from us when we can't see the end? What does God want from me before the resolution? What does God look for in us while we're still in the dark, still confused, still wondering what in the world is going on? I think his word gives us some pretty good answers to those questions here in Joshua 3. So let's read this story and unpack. I'm going to do what I had you do a few weeks ago. We're going to read all of Joshua 3. So if you could stand with me as we read the word of God. If you're physically able. If you're not, you can stay seated. Um, Let's stand together and read Uh, Joshua chapter 3 together starting in verse 1. Early in the morning Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, but since you've never been this way before, but keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark, do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses." Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. So Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will simply, certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Gergashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now, then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in Jerusalem, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet, as soon as the priests who carry the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a, in a heap, in a great distance away, at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, where the, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. You may be seated. Thank you. All right, so when we get to Joshua chapter 3, this is an interesting time in the lives of the Israelites. So uh, just as briefly as I can bring you up to speed, here's the background that builds up to Joshua 3. Forty years before this event, God had miraculously led the, the children of Israel out of Egypt through, using a man named Moses. And God did a series of just really miraculous signs and wonders and has led his people out of Egypt with one promise, that there was a section of the earth that he had for them. He told them again and again that the land of Canaan and the surrounding areas would be their land, that he would give it to them. It became known as the promised land. And when we come to Joshua chapter 3, the Israelites have been wandering, living as nomads, without ever fully settling in the desert for 40 years. And now, they're right next to Canaan. Moses dies, and Joshua is called by God to take over and lead his people into the promised land. And get this, they're right there. They can see it. They literally just have to open their eyes, and they can see the promised land. The only problem is that between them and the promised land stands a boundary of the Jordan River, and this is more than an inconvenience. The Jordan is at flood stage, or that, which at those stages, this river can get to more than a half a mile wide, depths over 10 feet deep, and this, there wasn't a river barge, okay? There wasn't a ferry waiting there to take anybody across. There weren't boats. All travels by foot. So this is a major problem. This is by all measures simply impassable. They can't cross it. There's no way. But then there's some unusual things that begin to happen in the Israelite camp. The officers go through the Israelite settlement telling the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, Lord your God, and the priest carrying it, you are to move from where you are and you're to follow it. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was built by Moses after God had commanded him to. It was was basically a rectangular-shaped container that contained a few items crucial to the history of Israel and God's interaction with them. But most importantly, when the Israelites camped, the Ark was to be placed in the most sacred section of the tabernacle because God's presence would come and fill the Ark. So the idea is that wherever the Ark goes, God's presence goes with it. So this night before, the Israelites, all throughout the camp, the Israelites are told, tomorrow the ark is going to move, tomorrow God's going to move, and you're to follow him when he does. Then in verse 5, we're told that Joshua then goes around telling everyone, consecrate yourselves, because tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things in your midst. Now this idea of, of consecrating oneself was, was very developed and clear for them. All throughout the Old Testament, they knew what this meant. There are certain impurities that they were to rid themselves of. Uh, There are ceremonial cleansing rituals they were to do and acts they were to avoid. But as a quick aside, I I think it's an underused practice by believers in the New Covenant, especially in our day. You see, with Jesus having fulfilled the law, we're, we're certainly not required or even expected to practice all those ceremonial aspects of the Old Testament law. But I think we'd be wise to just heed the idea of consecration. There are times in all of our lives where we are more aware of our need for God than other times. the times that we're serving Him in a unique way, times when we're facing a, a unique challenge, times that we're going to go through a unique season of life. "Tomorrow's going to be a big day," Joshua says. See the Israelites would cross into the land they'd been promised by God only once in their history. This is a monumental day in their history, and one God would certainly show up for. So Joshua tells them, get yourselves ready by getting rid of anything that would stand between you and God. I mean, let me tell you, there are times we need to do the same. For instance, we've already got on our calendar for next year three foreign mission trips for FBN next year. Next summer, our teens will go back to camp. We'll have certain events like Holy Week and Christmas that will be a heightened, that will bring a heightened spiritual awareness. And I believe that if we enter into those events, we enter into those trips, we enter into those times without a season of consecration before them, we're going to miss out on the fullness of what God has for us in those. I believe that engaged couples and much more important than figuring out colors and dresses and centerpieces is for them to enter into a period of consecration where they get as close to God as they can i believe that men and women facing major life decisions and are looking for God's will and direction should enter into a season of consecration where you just intentionally pursue him more Will you, you actually invest more time in prayer, more time in the word, even more time in the activities that, that make you aware of his presence and draw you close to him. Will you listen only to music that worships him? I don't, I, don't, I don't hate secular music, but in times of consecration, maybe you just stop that for a minute. You lay things aside that distract you and fill up too much of your time, and you ask him to help you overcome sins that are in your life. A season of consecration before you experience God in a fresh new way helps you experience all that he has for you. And Joshua tells the Israelites to do this. The next morning, God Himself speaks to Joshua, and He tells him, "Today, Josh, I'm going to show the people of Israel that I'm with you, just like I was with Moses. Now, tell the priests to carry the ark of the, to the river and to walk right in. And so, all the people of Israel have come to the riverbed, keeping a respectful distance from the ark. And when the priests step into the Jordan, the waters flowing downstream stop." And the Israelites watch as the Jordan River bed dries up right in front of their eyes, just like the Red Sea had done years before, and the water of the Jordan actually piled up in a town called Adam. And with the ark having gone out in front of them, out into the impassable river, now they have a path, and all of Israel, every one of them, walks on dry ground right into the promised land. And another chapter of Israel's history, another facet of God's great redemption story, concludes in miraculous fashion. And looking back, we're going to see where the story goes from there, don't we? God's going to continue going ahead of the Israelites, having them follow him. He'll grant them section after section after section of this promised land. From there, the nation of Israel will be established. They will be settled. And eventually, the Israelites will want a king. And though it's sinful request that would eventually lead to pain, God allows it and even moves through their sin of all things. Because when a man named David takes over as king, God establishes a covenant with David that one of David's descendants will reign forever. He says, there will be one from the line of David whose kingdom never ends, and eventually a son is born in the line of David, in the city of David, of all places. And he's given the name Jesus by God, and when he's eight days old, he's taken to the temple to be consecrated to God. When Jesus had grown up, he he called disciples to himself, he gathered crowds, he taught them about God, only his message was different than they were used to hearing Instead of being told, obey these laws and check off these lists and do these things and you'll be considered righteous, he had a much shorter but much harder message. Follow me, he said. Follow me. Come after me. Take your lead from me. Trust in me because I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and nobody gets to God except through me. And Jesus went out in front of humanity and led the way for us. He was righteous and pure, doing what we could not do, living a sin-free life. And eventually he died on a cross. And when he died on that cross, Jesus was going where we could not go. He was hoisted on that cross. He was hoisted directly into the gap that exists between us and God. The gap that exists because of our sin. Since you and I and every person who's ever lived a sin, there is a gap between us and God. And this distance is wider and deeper than the Jordan River, its flood stages. Is so vast, it is impossible for us to cross it, because once something is imperfect, it cannot be made perfect again. Which is why the book of Romans tells us that not only have all sin, but that the wages of sin, the cost of sin, the price of that sin is that we die. But in that very same sentence that tells us that our sin will cost us death, the Bible tells us that the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ the Lord. So how? How if we're doomed to die, and look around... We're about 100% on that, right? How if we're doomed to die? How if we're imperfect and sinful? How can the Bible say that we will be granted eternal everlasting life that will not end? How? Because Jesus, that's how. Because Jesus was perfect. Because Jesus was sinless. Because he got, went where no one else could go. And Just as the water from the river Jordan had been flowing down from the town of Adam, from the first man Adam flows from us the stain of a sinful nature. Just like when the priest stepped into the impassable river, Jesus stepped into the gap that no one could bridge but him. Only he could step into that gap between us and God, and when he did, he took everything on himself. He took on our sin, he took on the curse, he took on the cost of sin, he took on our death, he took it all on And he did that so that if we trust him, if we believe in him, then the eyes of God, our sins will be wiped clean. When it comes to our standing with God, our sin and his curse are piled up all the way back at Adam, and they are no longer able to keep us from God. And eventually, Jesus will take all of sin's power. He'll take all all of its presence, all of its ramifications, and pile them up back before Adam as if they never existed, because he will redeem, and he will restore, and he will make everything new. And now for any who call on his name, any who trust in him, he is the bridge, he is the dry ground, he is extending his arms and holding back the curse and letting us go directly to God. And all who have God's spirit inside of them, all who have a relationship with their creator, all who will stand before God one day and not be cast out or destroyed, have and will experience those things, not because of anything they did, not because they talked or looked or acted right, but all because of Jesus. All because Jesus did what they could not do, all because he went where they could not go, all because he paid what they could not pay, and all because Jesus made it for them to know God and experience eternal life forever that is why Jesus says in John 14 I am the way I'm the way not going to church not organized religion not acts of goodness Jesus says me personally me I am the way and no one gets to God except apart from me and listen it's not arrogant of him to say that It's not exclusive for the sake of being exclusive. It simply comes down to this. He did what no one else did and what no one else could do. And if you're banking on anything else to bridge the gap between you and God, if you're banking on anything other than Jesus taking your place and paying your price for eternal life in heaven, if you're counting on anything other than you were lost and you were doomed and you had no hope and Jesus came and bailed you out and redeemed you and rescued you and saved you because he's awesome and you're not, then whatever it is you're counting on simply isn't going to cut it. Because whatever that is, whether it's religion or your own idea of goodness or a belief in a higher power, some sort of moral, moral scale that you have in your own brain, whatever it is, didn't go where you can't go. Whatever it is, didn't die in your place. Whatever it is, didn't love you enough to, to insert itself into the suffering and curse and pain that should have been for you. Whatever it is, didn't address your biggest need, which is your sin problem. And Jesus did all of that. He alone did all that. And then he says, follow me. Follow me. And we opened today talking about how important conclusions are, how they have this ability to bring clarity. But the thing about that is this, right? If you're here today, if you're in this room, then I'm going to make it an assumption that you're still alive. And the fact that you're still alive tells me your conclusion hasn't yet been experienced. On a much grander scale, the conclusion for creation has yet to be written and the curse is still active. Not everything has been made new. And so for us, knowing that the purpose of all that God did in the history was Jesus, then we get to look back and feel fulfillment. We just to look back and say, well, that ark going in front of people and and then being, being told to follow is a picture of Jesus leading the way for us and telling us to follow. That, that God's presence in the ark going into the impassable river first, then him making a way for them to cross in the promised land is this giant picture of Jesus heading into the gap and paying a price and him making a way for us to cross into the promised land ourselves. And so for this and each, each, each Old Testament story we're going to study in this series, we get to put a tidy little bow on it. We get to wrap it up and it feels complete and it feels good and we'll move on the next one. But what if you were there? What if you were there? What if you were one of the priests who was told to walk in the river with the ark with no advanced knowledge of what God was going to do when you did it? What if you settled at that camp with your family and Joshua comes along and says, pack up everything because we're moving tomorrow? Listen, this past week, my family and I went camping uh, up near the Michigan Dunes. I'll tell you, I love camping. I love the experience, but you know what I don't love? Packing for camping. I don't love traveling for camping. I don't love setting up for camping. I don't love tearing down when I'm done. I'll never love that, ever. And that's made way more difficult with younger kids. And listen, I know I know the darkness of my heart. And so I know if I was in the Israelite camp and Joshua and his bros start coming around saying, pack up, we're heading to the promised land, I'd be the guy in the camp going, am I the only one who sees that river? just just me right you you want to pack up so we can move i don't know what 50 feet so what if you were there and you knew there's no way to cross that river and now you're being told you got to be ready to move and how about this what happens once you cross and the canaanites aren't just going to hand over the keys to the promised land are they so you get across the river and actually great now what you see, we know the answers for their story because we've seen the conclusion. But we don't know the answers for our story, do we? If you're in Christ this morning, if you're a follower his, you know the end. You know the ultimate end. You know that by his grace and by his love and by his power that you will experience eternal life forever with him and a place free from suffering or pain or death or evil. But no one, you see, no one on that day by the Jordan River had a clue how their life and their story and their chapter would fit into the great story of God redeeming people from their sins. They couldn't have. They had no idea what he was up to or that thousands of years later we'd still be reading and studying and listening and talking about their experience. And and let me tell you, there's a lot that the Israelites get wrong in the Old Testament. A lot. We simply wouldn't have time to give you all the examples of all the ways they screw up, but on this day in Joshua 3, they did something that's always a good idea. They did something that God is always looking for from us. They did something that God always uses. They simply followed. He went out ahead of them He went into the river and dried it up And they walked through And because they followed Their story was inserted into God's story Because they followed he continued to use them Because they followed they became another example Of God moving in people's lives To ultimately point all of us to Jesus And listen You are going to face things in this life That you don't understand It's not some sort of doomsday prophecy That's just the truth You're going to face trials. You're going to face tragedies and hurts and pains and confusions. You're going to face illness and loss and doubts and more. And I don't know, I'll be honest with you, I don't know whether each struggle that you will face will be caused by God for some greater purpose or be caused by the curse of sin and allowed by God for some greater purpose or some combination of both or even more than that. And I don't trust anyone who claims to know that. But I know what the Bible calls us to, that we're to follow. And so wherever God takes me, before I get to see the conclusion of the matter, if I ever do, I follow. We face that thing with the grace that we need to get through the day. We endure what we need to endure. We celebrate what we need to celebrate. And for both, remember, that we're followers. So we obey. We obey when he leads us to something new or something difficult. We don't cling to control. If it's some sort of ideal to aspire to, we don't need all the answers. We don't need the confusion clarified or everything explained. We simply follow. We just follow. Because as followers of Jesus, we believe in his sovereign reign. As followers of Jesus, we know that everything that comes our way can be used by him to make much of Jesus. And let's be honest. If you live long enough, then oftentimes you get to see some sort of a conclusion, don't you? Oftentimes you, you get to see the other side of the struggle. And you get to see, man, that's how God was working. That's, that's the good he brought from it. That's, that's, that's what makes it worth it. But let's also be honest. Sometimes we don't get to see that. Not in this life, at least. And some of us here are in the midst of this right now, and you can't or haven't yet seen how he's going to use this you can't and haven't yet seen how in the world he's gonna bring good from this you can not or haven't yet seen how this could ever be worth it so what do you do when it hurts what do you do when there are no answers what do you do when it's just confusion and doubt and pain and mystery what do you do you pack up all you have and you walk to the rivers edge even though it's impossible to cross what do you do is you follow you endure You cry out to him for strength. You ask for understanding, but you don't require it. And you trust that the God who used small displays of faith by sinful humans and built a grand story of redemption from them, the God who never, ever wastes the pain and suffering or confusion of his children but brings good purposes out of them, is the same God who's writing your story and who's actively involved in your life. And you trust that he will bring a conclusion that is beautiful no matter how painful the chapters are to write. Because you simply haven't been called to understand. You haven't been given the job to figure it all out. You've been called to follow. God's gracious. He never asks you to stop wondering. He never expects you to stop asking. He never tells you to stop hurting. But he does call you to follow. And listen, I know there are those in our midst today, I I believe, who he's calling to follow. Right now, There's some who have simply never given their lives to Jesus Christ. They never trusted him with their souls and with their sins and with their lives, with their future, with everything. Never asked him to forgive them and take over lives. And today, we're calling you to do just that. To follow him into the gap and find eternal life. To give your life to Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Listen, we're here for you. This is why we're here. We want to show you what that means. We want to show you how to do it. So so speak to one of us. Speak to the person who invited you. Better yet, just, just speak to God in prayer where you are, even for the first time, and just tell him that you're giving your life to Jesus and ask him to forgive you and ask him to take over. And then tell us about it so we can celebrate with you and guide you on the next steps of this unbelievable journey. And I also believe that there are those in our midst today who he is gently and loving and patiently yet firmly calling to simply follow because you don't know what he's up to and you can't see how this is good and you don't understand why this is occurring maybe this is a new thing maybe it's festered for months maybe it's a hurt that just isn't healing and you don't know why you don't have the answers and all you know is it hurts all you know is you can't understand all you know is you're confused and Jesus would say to you this morning I know I know because I've been there Because I was abandoned on the cross, left completely alone and forsaken by the Father, and I had to endure, and he brought good out of it. So what you need to do now is to follow. Simply follow by faith. Follow not because your circumstances are good, but because he is. Follow not because you have the answers, but because Jesus is your answer. Follow not because you want to walk this path, but because he is the way follow knowing and trusting and believing that somehow some way he's going to bring good from this even if you can't see it knowing and trusting and believing that somehow some way he's going to give you the grace you need just to get through today because he's enough see the conclusion's coming it's going to be here someday soon enough but until then god simply asks us to follow him let's pray Father, we are thankful for the people whose stories you chose to tell in your grand story of redemption. We're thankful for the examples that they give to us, both good and bad. And God, today I'm thankful for the example of the people of Israel who just simply followed, who packed up when it made no sense, who stood by the river when it was still impassable, and who walked through when you dried it up. So God, we are grateful for today that you have made a way for us where there was no way. You made a way for us to have eternal life and the forgiveness of sins and the most full abundant life here and eternal life forever with you and you did that through Jesus Christ on the cross. And God, we recognize that you did that through no other means but Jesus Christ on the cross. So God, if there's one here today who has never given their life to Jesus, I pray that in this moment right now that you would call them to yourself. They would surrender, they would submit, they would give their life to Jesus Christ where they are sitting and find the grace and hope and truth that can only be found in Him. God, for the rest around this room who are facing something they simply don't understand, facing something they, they would never choose on their own, facing something that, that is just confusing and hurtful and, and, and they're just it's scary and new, whatever it is, God, give them the boldness and strength and faith to simply follow. They don't, help them get to the point where they don't need the answers. They don't need the mystery clarified. They don't need the confusion taken away. They just need you. God, do this all to the glory and in the power of Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.